Welcome to the Value Driven Brand Podcast, where you'll learn insights on how to communicate with authenticity, deliver genuine value, and create a memorable experience across your entire customer journey, helping your business become the sought-after leader in your industry. I'm your host, Aileen Day. Now, on to the show. G'day everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Value Driven Brand Podcast. I am your host Aileen Day. Today we have a very special guest with us. Every week we have a very special guest with us but this week is of course no different. Can you please join me in welcoming my friend, my supply chain amazing guru uh, Ingo Weedman. Thank you so much for joining us. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Aileen. Now, Ingo joins us from uh, New South Wales. And if you haven't met Ingo before, let me introduce you. So Ingo is the founder of a company called Change BAU. And if you don't know what BAU might stand for in this world of acronyms, it's business as usual. Change business as usual has been running for a few years now. And in that, Ingo consults to companies all over Australia about how they can optimise their supply chain. So some of you listening in might go, well, that's not very sexy, but you would be amazed at how much work goes into creating, and we're going to talk about it a little bit further on, that value chain through being able to support a really strong supply chain network as well. So basically uh, working with companies to help them really kind of meet their customers' demands and it always fascinates me. I was just explaining to Ingo, I've had a little bit of experience in the supply chain uh, discipline but certainly none to the level of which he has. If I was to give you some insight into the experience that Ingo holds when we talk about value chain and supply chain optimization, uh, Ingo is the president, the New South Wales president of what's called the Australian Transformation and Turnaround Association, where they bring so many amazing supply chain change managers together to build upon the knowledge that is uh, already out there and to help support businesses do better in their supply chain optimization. And apart from running his own company, he has done work with the likes of Ardex, OneSteel, Horizon Oil, and Qantas. Like there's some pretty serious names to say the least. And now he goes and consults and coaches businesses on how to do it like the big guys do and do it even better again. So I'm always curious. I always love understanding how it is that you got to where you are today. Like what drove you to go, you know what, I'm going to go and teach and educate companies on how to do supply chain better, the best. What is it that made you go, this is it, this is my purpose? Yeah, um, good question. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> my, my whole supply chain experience started in the manufacturing world. Um, so started my career at Streets Ice Cream, um, just when the Magnum ice cream was being launched. And it was a classic supply-demand dilemma. Everyone wanted the Magnum, 
and we just couldn't make enough of it in the old factory. So oh. I was at the engineering team to start off with and then went over to the production team. Yep. And that's where I learned how much fun it can be to try to meet the demand, especially when demand was higher than supply. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. I remember when Magnums got released, so that's interesting. So and then all, what got you from there? Um, from there, I then joined um, Artix. I worked for Artix um, twice, and I'm now back here consulting third time. Oh, very good. That's, a good. that's a good news story that they'll have you back as a consultant as well. <laughs> it's a growing company, and it's grown because they are able to, they know how to meet the customer demand. Yeah. And, uh, it's a manufacturing and a distribution company, but they're in touch with their end customer. So in the 90s, I was part of um, launching um, the brand that went into Bunnings, which is now approximately half of Artex's business. And it was all about um, understanding what the customer wanted and then setting up a supply chain that could meet the demand. Um, and that's where I learned a lot about um, how to get a manufacturing plant and the supply chain aligned with what the customer wanted. Yeah. Getting everyone things are different. So a company that traditionally made products for the building trade, didn't matter if the product was a bit dirty, didn't matter if you know things weren't always perfect, to then go to the consumer market and try to sell it for twice as much on the shelf at Bunnings and meet all the Bunnings guarantees. It meant the product had to be presentable. You had to always have product on the shelf. You couldn't substitute one product for another. Yes. So it, it changed the whole supply chain um, from the start all the way through to, to the delivery part of it. And that's where I guess I, I got my stripes um, in the supply chain game. Had a very good mentor at the time. So the business was growing. Pretty, we had an acquisition once a year and then got acquired eventually by Artix. Um, first got acquired by um, a, a British company and then by a German company. So this um, acquisition and bolting on businesses and suddenly telling your factory they've got to make another three different brands in 18 different colors. Um, and I would have way, loved to be a fly on the wall that day. <laughs> it's, that, that, that's the exciting part about supply chain. And then trying to raise a standard, you know, a factory that's been making the smallest product they made was 10 liters and they hated that to then say we now have to make 500 mil products. And by the way, instead of three colors, we're going to make it in 14 colors. It just blows everyone's mind a bit. So, and that's that's what got me excited about supply chain is getting people engaged, getting them to understand why we're doing it, yes. and then getting people to believe in the brand. And once you get factory workers excited about being part of the brand and say, oh, we're now going to sell a product that mum and dad can see on the shelf at Bunnings, yes. um, it gets, their pride steps in and they get more excited and they actually start to take a bit more care and take a bit more pride in the way the label's put on or where that sticker goes or and those are little things and, and that's ultimately where my thing comes from is getting people to get engaged, understand why they're doing it and then setting up metrics that actually measure them on that so they get rewarded for doing the right stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I know from the from the moment that you and I first met and I heard the way that you spoke about um, the way that you coach businesses and, and work with them to uh, that big piece around understanding the customer need, I knew right then and there, I was like, right, I have to have this man on my podcast because he gets it. It's not just a case of waking up one day and going, I'm going to sell a piece of polypipe and everybody will love it. No, they bloody well won't love it. You have to understand exactly 
who you're selling it to, what are the purposes that they're going to be using it for. And so many organisations just don't do that. They just expect, you know, I, I just literally wrote blog, you know, build it and they will come. This isn't the field of dreams. There's more to it than that. And knowing that because this is the Value Driven Brand Podcast, I know that you have some really amazing insights around your experience on what you know have uh, other businesses have done with your help to create a value-driven brand. And you just started to touch on it then, uh, and that is to use uh, to use key metrics to drive decisions. So how does that play a role in creating a value-driven brand? It's it's everything. It's if you understand what your customer values and you can turn that into a metric that everybody in the value chain understands and understands how they impact it, if you can get all that aligned and everyone knows what they do and then can see that reflecting in that metric, mm. and if that metric customer is willing to pay you for, um, you start to print money. Um, and it, it's getting that alignment, and uh, it's not easy, um, but it's getting easier because of digitization. So there's a lot more information available now. There's a lot more information that you can make available on the factory or the warehouse floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately it's about the people who play a role in adding value to that product or that service, them understanding how the end customer perceives it. Yeah. So during my time on steel in Tasmania, we got very close to um, a company that made wind towers and I got my production people to understand what the next step in the production process was. So they spent a week at the customer understanding what the next step is for the piece of steel that came out of their warehouse. Oh. And their mindset when they came back to the business then to understand how important it was to get this right or how the product was presented on the truck because they knew how it was going to be unloaded at the other end. It, it, it built that relationship and it allowed me as the manager of the business to become a key part of the customer's process to the point where they trusted me in doing the first step of their, their process. So it became a long-term relationship. But the key to that was the people in my warehouse understanding that they're not just processing a piece of steel. They actually thought this was, they understood how that piece fit into the final wind tower and had a lot of pride in what they were doing. Um, and it's just understanding how to measure that, getting them to understand it, and then it really starts to gain momentum on its own. And I've applied that principle in, in everywhere, everywhere I've worked. That is absolutely game-changing. I cannot tell you of a single company that I'm aware of that does that with their team. And the thing that I know about supply chain is that we try to screw costs to the wall so hard that the concept of relinquishing the the manufacturing team out of the factory and putting them into a scenario where they're going to learn about the application of what it is that they're creating people would go mate that's going to cost a fortune not doing it but i would see that as an absolute game-changing value-driven investment because if you do that as you just said the level of pride in their work and motivation that they go back with because you not 
only have you taken them out of their usual surroundings and trusted them to carry out this uh, activity where they get to play a bigger part than they already were, but you're giving them the comprehension that they are a bigger player in this whole process that people otherwise wouldn't have done. And I always talk about breaking down silos, right, because one thing that I know doing what I do is I am constantly faced with businesses who have departments and and areas of their business, so manufacturing and supply chain, and, and they're all in what we call silos. So they all behave like they're their own business. They don't communicate with each other. They don't comprehend the next move or the impact that they have on the next piece of the puzzle or the, the customer journey or the business journey. And therefore, people fall to pieces and teams fall to pieces and therefore the customer experience falls to pieces as a result. And what you have just done is, and I love that you said they trust you, your customers trust you because that is one thing that I am relentlessly banging on about is you have to endeavour to create activities that deliver trust and that is amazing. I you hadn't you haven't told me about that. So I was like, oh my god! And it's so simple. Put them on a bus, take them out to the site. Like seriously, it just is so worthwhile. That is brilliant. I love it. I am also curious though, what kind of um, metrics are we talking about? Are we talking about behavioural metrics? Are we talking about production metrics? You know, I always love the good old, uh, I used to walk into supply chain and just say DIFOT a lot and people would go, oh, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> For those listening, that's delivered in full on time. It's apparently a big thing. It's the biggest thing and it's <laughs> You don't. If you don't meet that delivery in full on time, um, then you're going to be chasing your tail. But once you once you once you're on par with your competitors or better on delivering on your promise, mm-hmm. the next thing is the quality, understanding what the customer values. So that steel example, I guess the other things that that operator came back with, he we always joke that this guy cuts his grass one way and is a perfectionist and. <laughs> No, he was crazy, but he spent a lot of time making sure certain imperfections were removed from the steel plate before he delivered it and spent a lot of time fussing over things that he thought were really important. Once he came back from the customer, he basically then said, look, this is really important. This other bit doesn't really matter because they're going to sandblast it anyway or they don't really care about this. So suddenly we stopped wasting energy on things that the customer didn't care about and started focusing on things that the customer really cared about. So it also saved money. So it became a win-win that you're actually making the customer happy, creating a lasting relationship and stopping waste, wasted energy on things that really don't matter at all. Um, Are you hearing this gold? Sounds simple, but it is simple, but you've got to get people involved and engaged. And I also do the same, or a good supply chain manager does the same on the supply side as well. And that involves that trust word again to get your supplier to come into your factory or your process and actually get them to see why it matters if a product is presented a certain way, why you care that the handles are facing this way when they're delivered, 
once the supplier sees, oh, I can see how important that is because that's the way that fits into your machine, they then go back to their manufacturer or their production plant and say, look, this customer really cares about this. And most of the time, all their customers care about this, but they've never actually realized it. So it's just getting people out of their four walls into the customer's um, four walls and understanding what they care about and then taking that back and making it happen. And then as a, the management team then has to put a metric in place that then measures that because that excitement wears off and people go back to their old habits. But if you've got a metric <laughs> in place that measures it, that behavior keeps going. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. pretty much been this of most of my transformations have been just getting people to open their eyes and understand why they're doing it. And it, it gives them purpose coming to work because they know when that truck drives out the driveway, they actually know what happens next. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of great examples where they then, you know, talk about that wind tower and, yeah, I make the base plates and I know what's important. And it, just that whole pride thing comes through. And that creates a brand, even in a boring commodity market like steel. Um, and I've got lots of other more boring examples in the steel world, but it's the same thing. It's just getting people to understand what matters. But if They're you haven't got that, and you know, you would know full well. I talk very regularly about uh, the joy of sex, so customer, employee, and human experience, and what that ultimately is is just one of the most beautiful examples of that whole component. You have taken into consideration the customer needs to deliver a customer experience that would be worthy of their loyalty. You have created an employee experience where there's so much pride and therefore internal motivation to do the best job they can do. And then you've created a human experience because you've humanized those commodities. They're not just a manufacturing plant now, they or a manufacturer or, you know, a, a customer demanding that their product be packed on the left instead of on the right. They're not faceless now. They're human beings that now have the opportunity to deliver something bloody amazing that is going to create loyalty on every front that they work in. And I often discuss, uh, you know, we talk about um, customer experience and, you know, uh, the, the whether or not people talk about your brand is actually not as a likelihood, not as high a likelihood as it is if people were to consider if people talk about work. So if we go to a, a, a seminar or whatever, the chance of you telling me about your latest shopping experience, probably pretty low but there is a 100% likelihood that I'm going to turn around and go, hey, Ingo, how's work, right? And so what you've just done for these manufacturers is you've given them something to actually go, you know what, work is amazing. Work is where I want to be. It's just so fascinating to see something so simple become such an amazing outcome. The, the, the other example of that, which probably you and your listeners can relate to more, is uh, I spent quite a bit of time with Qantas, managing the international terminal in Sydney. And the brand, Qantas is such a strong brand, and everyone working in that company was 
so proud to work for Qantas and be part of that brand. Also, the aviation industry measures everything to the nth degree. Mm. And the alignment, the alignment that everybody at the airport, my whole team, I've 600 people are looked after across the three shifts. The alignment they had to make sure that that door was closed on time and that KPI was met was, was phenomenal. Um, to then drive changes to lower the cost while keeping that brand loyalty and passion alive mm. was a challenge. But because you started with such high passion, you could actually drive a lot of change and that passion didn't die. Yeah. And then the experience, every Qantas employee gets very good um, flights as part of their, their package. So they all are very proud to fly in Qantas and be part of the Qantas journey. So while they're working underneath the aircraft, packing the aircraft or refueling it or the worst guy had to clean the toilets, um, they still imagine their next flight or how proud they were when their family was on the plane and how proud they were that they always left on time and all those things. So that pride thing was was so big in the, in the Qantas game. And when I joined other organisations that didn't have that pride, I keep reflecting back on how am I going to create that pride so people are happy to talk about that brand. And as you said, when they get asked at the barbecue, where do you work? It's not just IA and some building products manufacturing plant. You know, no, actually, I make that brand that you just, or they'll probably say, do you do any renovations in the last few months? Oh, yeah, I have. What product did you use? Oh, yeah, the Dunlop brand. Oh, I make that. So it, it becomes, they're talking about the brand they make, not about the sand cement adhesive they make. Yes. You know, oh, my you God. To believe in the brand that they are part of creating the brand. Yes. Um, you've got that employee engagement. That and so they sense. should be. They should absolutely be proud. That is so fantastic. Now, we also have – now, this is so cool. I think what you have inadvertently done is given me so much more insight and content that I'm going to take and work out around team pride because I absolutely am just enthralled to hear about how that inevitably – creates a value-driven brand. You know, we're talking about metrics, but the metrics really only win when you've got that team pride and, and employee engagement going on. But we're also talking about delivering on the promise. So how does that help us create that value-driven brand that we all know we deserve to do? Well, first thing is getting the people that are delivering the promise to know what the promise is. I think that's the oh, first key. Fancy that. In the supply chain don't know what the customer was promised. So it's just making that visible. And it's often in the weekly toolboxes that you have in the warehouse or just putting the signs up that they know what promise we made the customer. You order it before 2 o'clock, you're guaranteed next day delivery. Everyone that's involved in getting that product to the customer needs to understand that's the promise that the business has made. Mm. Um, if they don't know that, you can measure it as much as you want. You can tell them what their DIFOT rate was. They don't care. But if they are part of understanding that that is a promise that your company makes that your competitor can't do, they again start to understand what role they play and they start to care a lot more about it. And they start to push back when the workload gets to a point where they can't deliver it. And that's when you're starting the two-way communication, when the people who actually involved in delivering the promise say, you know what, if we don't add another person or if we don't do overtime this Saturday, we're not going to meet that promise. And they sort of throw it back to management going, well, we can either meet the promise or we can do our best and not meet it 
but because they know how much that means to the company, because the customer backlash if that promise is not met, because they're paying a premium because of that service. Yeah. Um, so measuring I, it is important. People understand why you're measuring it and why you're putting it up in lights. Yeah, I especially love that they're pushing back. And it's not because they can't be bothered. It's because they know what it takes to deliver the promise with the quality. They're like, hang on, we could do half a job and get it out or we could get more help and keep up the standards and still get it out. So that is, uh, again, it comes back to that, they're motivated, they're proud to do the job at the level that is expected to be done, obviously because as an organisation there's clear communication and a very transparent understanding as to why that is an important factor, why that is an important um, uh, promise to the customer, the impact that that has to not just the customer, but them and their employment as well, I think is just marvellous. Now, this one is a biggie, right? So we're talking about visibility, alignment, engagement, my favourite customer experience, and sustainability. What has all of that got in common with delivering a value-driven brand? Um. Those are the elements that I think create a value-driven brand. Um, and the reason I've put the sustainability part at the end of it is if you can consistently have a good customer experience, you're going to get customers coming back. So you, you create something sustainable rather than the customer shopping for the cheapest product. Um, yes. And if your customer experience is something unique, and these days it's hard to do something unique because everybody else catches up so much quicker. So you need to do what everybody else does well and then do something different to demand a premium or alternatively do it as good as everybody else and have a lower price. That's not as much fun because you're doing things faster and cheaper. Yeah, um, it's not as exciting. <laughs> I mean. Um, and demand a premium and then that allows you to put more pressure on everybody to actually deliver. Um, but the, the engagement comes by people understanding and the visibility then comes them understanding what levers they can pull. Yeah. And the trick I find in this decade um, is the information is available, but people are scared to make the decisions. So they rather than make a decision to do this and get this off to the customer, they send an email or they wait for someone else to make the decision. Whereas if the right training is done and the right culture set, and people are given the freedom to make, are rewarded for making the decision, and are then not penalised when they make the wrong decision. Yeah. When you make they make the wrong decisions, but if you did it in the good intent and you knew why you did it, um, you should still be rewarded for it. Um, and I've seen that many times. Um, and once people have the balls to make those decisions, the customers end up being much happier because, and it might be sending a part load because you haven't got part of a product um, mm. or may be deciding to take some of the damaged product off a pallet rather than sending it anyway. Um, the customer will appreciate that, especially if they get that communication. But it's it's people understanding that they contribute to the customer experience. It's, it's yeah. not just that I can, um, but it's, the, it's the, those things together that create the customer experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I do certainly appreciate the sustainability aspect of it in the sense of, uh, you know, you will come across some people who talk about customer experience in the sense that, you know, to deliver a, uh, a loyalty-driven customer experience, you have to wow them every time. You have to go above and beyond every single time. But I am here to tell you categorically that is not the case because if you are constantly changing the way that you deliver an experience in an attempt to hopefully wow and, and blow their minds, you're actually going to really upset them because there's no what is plainly called consistency. And it's great to innovate, but you need to innovate, let the dust settle, and then innovate again. And that is a process in itself that too also needs to be a sustainable process. Innovation can't just be like, oh, I had a brain snap, let's do this. Oh, I had a brain snap again, let's do that. Because it's unsettling as a customer experience goes. And ultimately what we look for as consumers is something a little bit more stable because there's not a lot of stable stuff happening in our lives. The way we get delivered an experience is one of those things where we're actually looking for if it works and it meets, if not uh, goes beyond our needs, like Gingo said, you know, find that point of difference where you can become that premium brand, then that is amazing. That's great. That is enough. You don't have to keep changing that point of difference every week to get where you need to be to become that trusted value-driven brand. You're it's just going to piss people off. You've nailed it. It's that consistency. And it, if you change it too often, you will piss people off. Mm. Um, I, I got a high distinction for my definition of quality at university, and I used McDonald's as the definition of absolute quality. It's the same every time you go. It's the same all over the world. You know exactly what you're going to get doesn't mean it's high quality. You don't expect high quality at McDonald's, but you expect it to be the same every time you buy it. Yes. Um, you expect it to always be in stock. You, know, you never go to McDonald's and they say they don't have the special sauce today, but you still like your Big Mac. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's that consistency angle. And then you look at McDonald's, they keep reinventing themselves. They keep, exactly. They, they keep trying new things on the side, but they still have the old promise on the side. Yeah, that's always going to be there if you don't want the new stuff. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's a model that a lot of companies can follow is that you can innovate but stay the same. Yes. Um, listen to your customer what they want. Yes, um, absolutely. Oh, I love that. So visibility, alignment, engagement, customer experience, which ultimately also then I'm going to say includes your employee experience uh, and sustainability those are certainly the amazing keys to creating a value-driven brand if I've heard them before or if I have not heard them before, actually. That's the first time I've heard them. So I think that is just fantastic. And it would be remiss of me not to tell you about one of my favourite steelworking stories, which I'm sure you've heard before, but it comes 
uh, from a gentleman called Dale Carnegie who wrote a book uh, back back in the day about a steel magnate called Charles Schwab. And Charles Schwab had a team of steel manufacturers who were not producing the uh, the level of steel that they needed to produce. And he was actually on the precipice of bankruptcy. And he came into the mill one day and he said to the team, the day shift team, how many steel rods have you made? And they said six. So he got a piece of chalk and he wrote on the ground a massive figure six. And then the night shift team came in and they said, what's this about? And they realised that that was the amount of rods that the team on the day shift had created. So they went, hmm, we got this. And and essentially what Charles Schwab did was he improved their motivation. He improved their uh, drive to deliver uh, their promise of, you know, steel by helping the teams compete against each other. And then the next morning the day shift team came in and there was a seven on the ground. And then basically that kept going and it's so interesting that you say, you know, the team pushed back because the story goes that the team pushed back. They couldn't produce anymore without recruiting more people. So obviously they were no longer on the precipice of bankruptcy and shutting down. They'd actually gone completely the other way and became one of the largest steel manufacturers in the USA. So there is a lot to be said for improving that employee experience and everything that Ingo has talked about today. No, good example. And if you don't measure things like quality, that can get out of hand as well where people take shortcuts to meet certain KPIs. So if you don't have other metrics in place, that can catch you out as well, which is why it's important to have that balance of metrics. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Oh. going, People, again, have pride. They, they get excited about what they do. They're not just coming in to work eight hours and clock off again. Yeah. And that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. Give the team something to feel proud about, some purpose behind what they do every day. And um, I'm most certain that you will start to see your own supply chain and organisation, a, a, a full organisation, become quite the optimised uh, optimized way of doing business. Ingo, before I let you go, because they are just some absolutely delightful insights and for those of you who watch me on my live broadcasts a couple of times a week, let it be known that I'm taking some of this information and running <laughs> running with it. So I thank you so much. It's just been so wonderful. But for those of you who have listened in before, you know there's still one more piece. And for those of you who don't, Every guest who joins me on the Value Driven Brand podcast gets given a guest profile, which they very kindly fill out for me and give me some insight into themselves. And one of the questions that I ask each guest is, what is the one song that gets them pumped up for anything? Ingo, do you remember the song that you chose? Yeah, it's one of my favourite Queen songs and it's always on the top of my most played list on the iPhone. Brilliant. 
it's a Queen Queen song called "Don't Stop Me Now." Ah, I love it. I love it. Lyric, I'm having such a good time. I'm having a ball. It's all back to what we talked about that employee experience. If you can sing that in the workplace and get your employees to sing and believe in it, I think your value-driven brand is a guarantee. So I reckon. I, yep. Ingo's about to um, uh, slide into DJ DJ Ingo <laughs> to an organisation near you with a pumping soundtrack. I can imagine. No, it's true. I reckon when you've got the right music on in the background, you can get the team to work even even more uh, more productive. But yes, it is now. For those of you who don't know. We have a special playlist here at the Valley Driven Brand. It's called the Aileen Day Official Guest Playlist. And you can now also grab this new entry to the playlist when you visit uh, valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. And that is where you're going to find this podcast recording as well as all of the resources in uh, available to get in touch with Ingo. And if you are an organisation who thinks that you might need some of Ingo's uh, love and caressing in consulting and coaching around the way that you do business, then you can also visit Value Driven Brand podcast forward slash podcast series. I'm going to start that again, valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series goodness me when my man brendan does this transcript (laughs) he's gonna think what was she doing that is where you're gonna find all the information ingo it has been such an absolute pleasure to get to chat with you about supply chain optimization about doing business better and creating a value-driven brand thank you so much for joining me no, thanks for the opportunity, and it's been been fun talking to you. And we didn't swear as much as other people. I'm surprised. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping it PG today. <laughs> M M is for after 8 p.m. on Mondays. <laughs> I love it. All right, that is it from us today. But. Thank you to Ingo, and we will be back with another episode very soon. But for now, get out, go and create value for somebody else in your life because we all know what goes around comes around. I'm Aileen Day. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Value Driven Brand Podcast with your host, Aileen Day. Is your business struggling to become known as the sought-after leader in your industry? Access our value-driven brand quiz and special three-part podcast series to identify the gaps and what you need to focus on first. Go to www.valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. That's valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. Tune in next time where we discuss more ideas on how you can deliver your own value-driven brand.